You're listening to keynote speeches from our Melbourne Podcasters live event series. These are recorded live and feature the best podcast professionals from all around Australia who reveal the craft and techniques of creating a successful show. My name is Adam Jaffrey. I'm the Strategy Director at Wavelength Creative. We are a podcast agency who runs these events for the podcast community and produces this show. I'm very excited because today's topic is your essential guide to the future of podcasting, featuring our keynote speaker, James Cridland, who is a radio futurologist. So, tonight we're going to talk about um, the future of audio and the future of radio and podcasting. But before we do, I think maybe a good place to start is just a bit of insight into where your career started and and some of the big moments that you've had throughout that journey to where you are today. Well, when I was six, we'll start there. When I was six, I had to eat an awful lot of Frosties, very sugary, very bad for you, breakfast cereal. And uh, I had to eat an awful lot of Frosties for one very good reason. If you ate, I think it was six packets of Frosties within like two months, and you sent off all of the tokens off the back, you got a free radio. And so I did this. I badgered my parents, and eventually they sent off the 27 pence or something it was to get the free radio in stamps. And it came back, and I was just amazed. All of a sudden, I could turn on my radio, and I could get three whole stations, because I was in the middle of... uh, of a very very rural bit of of the UK at the time. Three whole stations of... uh, Some of them were playing music and some of them were talking. BBC was on and all of this. Um, And that uh, completely took me... um, got me so interested in radio. And radio is really what I've been doing ever since. And I started working in radio in uh, 89 um, and have done all kinds of things. But... um, I started getting interested in what online could do in the mid-90s. I think I was the first radio DJ in the UK to read out an email address. Would anybody like to hear the email address? Yeah. 100112.2320 at CompuServe.com. Guess how many emails I got after doing that for a year? One, two. Two too many. <laughs> uh, so, so that was good. Um, and, um, but I was very interested in, in the internet, very interested in what the internet could do for radio. I landed a job at Virgin Radio in the UK. It's the um, uh, national radio station there, running online, uh, running the website. Uh, we made it the world's most listened to internet radio station. Uh, in March of 2005, we launched the world's first mobile phone app, which you could stream Virgin Radio in a blistering 8K of Og Vorbis quality. Uh, and it would only cost 20 Australian dollars an hour to listen in data charges. You think Telstra is expensive. So that was interesting. But actually, the previous month, I'd actually worked on this thing called an RSS feed. And we were doing um, what was the, f- the first daily podcast from a radio station for our breakfast show. And uh, that sort of very much switched me on to the benefits of podcasting. And this was back in a time when iTunes hadn't incorporated podcasts. So it was a very, very early stage. You had to have iPodder. Then after a legal letter changed its name to Juice because you weren't possibly allowed to call it iPodder anymore. And really, you know, I've been very interested in what podcasting's uh, part of radio's future is. And so that's sort of basically where I've been. Where I want to start off tonight is some of the lessons that podcasting can learn from radio. What are the things that radio is doing well that podcasters can 
do a better job of? I mean, I think when you first sort of start, I think there's a definition of radio which is helpful because I think sometimes we in podcasting look at radio and go, radio, competition, nasty people. Um, and, And that's true in some cases. But in most of cases, we are doing the same job. We are creating great audio. We are telling stories using sound. And some of us are doing it on the radio with the tyranny of the transmitter, you know, desperately trying to make your story last 28 minutes so that the news and the travel can go in. And some of us do it on podcasts. And I think actually there is a lot of shared knowledge and shared experience in between, by the way, both podcasters to teach radio people and radio people to teach podcasters you know, some really good and useful tips. And it's interesting, you know, I've spoken at OzPod for the last couple of years, and the first year was all about, uh, because I was speaking at the ABC, and so the first year was all about, you know, us in radio. And I, I uh, I got told off for saying that because a lot of the podcasters in the room didn't feel that they were part of radio. And I think that probably the definition of radio is a bit too narrow. And I think the radio or audio, call it whatever we like, um, you know, we, we do share an awful lot of useful things. So, you know, as one example, NPR, the public radio uh, organization in the, in the US, they have this amazing app called NPR One. And what NPR One is, it's a kind of personalized ABC News radio, except it doesn't tell you the traffic and travel for Perth. And uh, so NPR One is really interesting because it's a closed platform. They are able to measure exactly when people skip off a story they don't like. So they begin to learn what works and what doesn't work in terms of putting together a great radio story or, if you like it better that way, a great podcast. And it turns out that most people will skip away from a story in the first 30 seconds or in the first minute. You don't have long, you don't have very long at all to actually sell your story to the audience, to tell them why they should keep on listening. And when you're given a big skip button on the NPR One app or in a podcast app, that's actually a really useful, uh, a really useful thing to learn how to keep people listening for longer. And so, you know, the, there's a lot of a lot of really useful, uh, really useful learnings there in terms of making sure that you, in a podcast, for example, you remind people what your podcast's all about because they won't be, they won't have started at episode one. They'll have started at your latest podcast. So the first thing perhaps you should do is explain to them what this podcast is and then tell them why they should keep listening. And some of the most interesting podcasts that I listened to when I was uh, judging the the Australian Podcast Awards were podcasts that started with the most amazing piece of audio. The interviewee had no idea who this person was. It was a disembodied voice and they would say something astonishing and you would go, my God, this is incredible. And then the podcast would actually start. You know, some really nice arresting things that actually got people going, I, I thought was, uh, was uh, really interesting. So, you know, teasing people why, why they should listen. In radio, it's called resetting. So telling people who you are, what the podcast's about. You know, those are some really useful things to learn. And obviously, you know, the other, the other things don't start with an advert. Don't start with a long music bed. 
Um, if you're doing those, those things, then you're probably losing people already. So, you know, so really focusing on that and using the data that you have available to you. So Apple Podcast Analytics, for all of its failings, and I'm sure that we'll get onto those, but, but Apple Podcast Analytics is astonishingly good at showing you where people are skipping, where, people are, where you're losing people. And that's, a, and that's really useful uh, information. In the radio world, they have, in the US, they have a little... Um, portable people meter thing. It's a little electronic thing that sits on your belt and you look like an idiot and you walk around and it's listening to everything that you're listening to. And the radio stations get an awful lot of data and, and, uh, and information from that. And what they learn from that is everything from exactly what songs work to what features work to even what news stories uh, work, what news stories are making people switch over. And, uh, and I think we've got a lot of data and a lot of interesting stuff that we could learn in terms of podcasting there as well. So let's talk about stories then. The radio industry has been producing stories for, for many, many years, um, particularly public radio. Um, and I think that the rise of popularity of story-driven and narrative-driven podcasting is, uh, is really interesting. I guess when we talk about stories, like even a simple interview podcast mm. has a narrative arc and, and a story hidden within it. So what do we know about stories and uh, what can we learn from what radio has been doing for many years in, in the podcast world? Yeah, I mean, I think particularly Australian radio is really good at this. It's the idea of a story arc or in many cases, multiple story arcs. So your, your favourite breakfast show or your favourite drive time show will have all of these different story arcs uh, going on. So the Hamish and Andy podcast, and it's a podcast now, but it used to be a radio show. They have a story arc going on at the moment. They've got a few of them. One of their stories is about uh, wanting to put together a song all about learning how to surf. And they've got the lyrics sorted out and they've interviewed some famous surfers and they've done like lots of different things. And it's been a nice sort of constant within their podcasts over the last 12 episodes or so, seeing how this thing is coming together. And in the same way, they've got another story arc, which is their Hamish and Andy coins which is some kind of Bitcoin thing. I don't really know that anybody really understands them. But nevertheless, you can see when Hamish broke it to Andy that he had spent $2,000 on these ridiculous coins all the way through. They're now being given away as, as competition prizes and all that kind of uh, stuff. You can see, again, this sort of nice story arc that keeps people coming back to that podcast week after week because they want to find out what's happened with this particular thing, what's happened with that thing. And I think that's something that radio does do very well. Another great example is uh, the Am I Funny podcast, which was a finalist in the Australian Podcast Awards, which was, and in fact it was a radio producer, but learning uh, how to do stand-up comedy. And again, you know, there is an obvious story arc in that of somebody who, who decides one day that he wants to do a live show and he knows that in 12 weeks he has to do a live show. But there are also lots of other things involved in there as well. And again, it's that, it's that idea of making people want to come back because there are more complex things than just tune in next week for the next exciting instalment. You know, and, I, and I think, you know, again, radio has been very good at doing that in the past. So that's a good scene set, I think, um, to, to kind of kick off really, I think, why we're, we're here today, which is to talk about the future. Where's the future of audio going? If we can kind of just like start there very broadly and then we'll drill down into a few kind of subtopics. But um, let's think about radio and podcasting and, and maybe where they kind of intersect and where they dissect um, or diverge rather. Where's this industry of audio going in the future? 
I think in terms of audio, we have an amazing media because it is the only media that you can consume while you're doing something else. And I think, you know, it's impossible to drive down the motorway while browsing Facebook or Twitter or, or all of that sort of thing. Radio and audio and podcasting is something which is... Um, radio used to be called the secondary medium because it was secondary to what you were doing. You, you were driving, you were washing up, you were cooking, and radio was on in the background, and I felt that that was denigratory. So I, I decided, let's not call it radio, uh, let's not call it the, the secondary medium, let's call it the multitasking medium, because it sounds more, you know, 2.0. But it really is, it's the multitasking medium. And I think, therefore, that... Um, that is tremendous for advertising. It's tremendous for getting brands over. And tremendous. one of the other things about audio is that it's a tremendously intimate medium as well. It's something that actually evokes a lot of emotion in ways that, by and large, the printed word, and by the printed word I also mean the internet in most cases, simply can't do. So radio is very intimate and is, and is a very, um, sorry, and I keep on saying radio, and you, you'll appreciate, I mean audio, but all forms of audio is a very, um, you know, is a very intimate medium. So as we look at the, the world of uh, social media and um, short form video and uh, clickbaity articles and, and memes and those kinds of things, do we think that there is growth in the audio channel still when people are turning towards um, short-form media for their short, short-term attention spans? I think quite a lot of the short-term attention span stuff is a little bit overrated. What I found interesting is there was some research done in the UK um, around what people are doing while they are listening to audio. The most popular thing that people do while they're listening to podcasts is nothing else. That's a, real, that's a real surprise to me. The most popular thing uh, people do while, while listening to the radio, by the way, is driving. But the most popular thing that people do while listening to podcasts is nothing else. And I think that that's quite something, because I think that is actually showing that there is a need in this world for, for us to, to, to relax, to calm down, to focus on something. And podcasting, to a great degree, because you can because you can stack episodes, podcasting is particularly good at that. And so I think you know that 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 is a definite is a definite thing around how podcasting can really attract uh, attract audiences. I mean, you know, it's interesting if you look at uh, so the the new radio figures are out today in Australia. ABC Classic FM, the classical music station, has had its best ever figures. Similarly, Radio 3 in the UK, which is the classical music station there, has also had its best ever figures for some time. And I think that that's not an accident. I think that that's something to do with the fact that actually when you listen to the news, it sounds as if the world is, is, is about to explode every single day with whatever Donald Trump is doing next. And actually, we can probably relax a little bit more and escape to a place which is just a bit more kinder and gentler, where we can actually focus a little bit more. And I'm sure that podcasting fits into that as well. So let's talk about Apple. Apple is the big yes. dog in podcasting. In fact, I think Apple is really who uh, should be credited a lot more than they are for the growth and almost like mainstreamification of podcasting. 
um, and uh, and podcasting has grown through their the inclusion of having it um, in iTunes, um, and then the second wave of uh, podcast growth is when uh, not when Serial was released, but when uh, Apple baked the podcast app in uh, to the iPhone as a default app uh, that you couldn't get rid of. Apple Podcasts and iTunes account for about 60% of all podcast downloads, and I'd probably argue more than 60% of um, podcast listenership. Is that a big risk for the medium, having such a big player controlling um, so much of the destiny of this space? Do you know, I think you've significantly underestimated Apple there, because actually, when you have a look at all of the apps, uh, all of the podcast apps out there, Pocket Casts, uh, Overcast, you know, pretty well everybody apart from Spotify and TuneIn, who who we might come back to, but everybody else are only there because Apple has an open API into their service. If you go to Overcasts and you say, I would like my podcast listed in Overcast, then the FAQ section says, make sure you're listed in iTunes. Literally, that's all it says. Because everybody is using Apple, is using the fact that Apple has opened up their API for the iTunes catalog. Everybody is using that as a way to feed and use their own, uh, their own podcast apps. And, you know, I was talking to somebody last week who has queried the Apple iTunes API so many times, he now has 562,000 podcasts in his database and all of the details around those podcasts. And he's sitting there every single hour because the Apple podcast chart changes every single hour. And so he's there scraping every single version of every single Apple podcast chart in all of the categories and all of the countries. And he's doing all of that because Apple have let their API completely open. Now, I don't know about you, but if I was looking at risks to my company, uh, and I was a podcast company, Apple would be the number one risk. Because even if they made no changes to how the iPhone works and how the Apple podcast app works, by the way, surprisingly, it's getting slightly better in the next version of iOS, but only slightly. Um, Even if they make no changes to any of that, they could still decimate podcasting by changing the way that their underlining API works. Uh, And it's a real concern to me before you even go onto the charts. So my concern is really that we need to make sure, we need to start thinking about where are our alternatives to Apple, because it is not a simple and straightforward job to start a podcast catalogue of 565,000 podcasts from scratch. That is not an easy job. So where do we go from there? And it's a real concern that I have. Couldn't we just scrape the Apple Podcasts directory and then we'd have all 565,000? Yeah, I mean, mean, as long as as the Apple Podcasts directory is still there and scrapable, yeah, of course we could. So you mentioned the Apple Podcasts or the the iTunes top charts there, um, and that's probably a good thing that um, we should should touch on as we move through this. How do the iTunes charts work? (laughs) Well, the most important, let's ignore new and notable and let's ignore uh, the featured stuff. Featured stuff is basically editorial. What's hot. Yeah, what's hot. That's right. Um, The main chart, though, that we care about is the Apple Podcast chart. And the Apple Podcasts chart is really the only chart that we have which allows us to compare ourselves against, against our fellow podcast makers, if you, like me, make a podcast. 
And that's fine, but the difficulty is that it's not actually measuring podcast downloads. The only thing that it measures is it measures the amount of people who press the subscribe button. That's literally all, all that it measures. And that's fine, because what Apple want out of their Apple Podcasts chart is they want a nice trending chart that shows people new stuff to go and listen to all the time. And by and large, it does the job very well. The difficulty is that, of course, it's also very manipulatable as well. So in podnews.net, podnews.net, um, I wrote, uh, I, I, I've written a number of articles now about companies who are manipulating the charts. There's one company based out of um, the middle of the US who charge 15,000 US dollars every single month, and you will be in the top 10 of the category of your choosing in the Apple podcast charts. And the way that they do it, probably is that they've got a bunch of, um, a bunch of Apple uh, IDs and of Apple um, uh, devices, and they sit there and they subscribe and then unsubscribe every single day. And that, amazingly enough, will get you quite high. Amazingly enough as well, it will eventually get you banned uh, and you won't be in the Apple podcast chart at all, but that's a separate conversation. Um, there was another thing that I noticed, uh, Airtasker, uh, a man that lived in North Adelaide put a job, in fact, he put 10 jobs up, wanting to spend $15 for somebody to go into their local Apple store and subscribe to a podcast. He wouldn't say what it was when contacted by Pod News. Um, he, he wouldn't say what that podcast was, but it's pretty obvious, I think, what was going on there. You know, he was spending the equivalent of you know, nearly a thousand, a thousand uh, Australian dollars to artificially push up some podcast into, into the chart. So there's a lot of that stuff going on. Now, Apple, thankfully, are being, um, are being pretty good at spotting that. I'm not going to mention the Melbourne company that was also doing something a little bit weird last week, just in case they're here. Um, but, you know, uh, Apple have been pretty good at uh, spotting that. But the difficulty is that, you know, it isn't a chart. All it measures is actually your marketing for your podcasts. So if you run a radio station, brilliant, because you should be number one on the Apple podcast charts the day of your launch. And if you, and if you aren't number one on the Apple podcast on the day of your launch and you're a radio station and you talk to tens of thousands of people every day, then you've got a problem. But, you know, I think it would really benefit us if, as an industry, we had something which was a bit more like you know, the readership figures or the radio audience figures or something that was a bit more comparable of actual consumption. But where you start with that, of course, is a whole other question. So let's move on from Apple and uh, touch on another big player in this space, which is Google. Yes. And so Google have made some announcements in the past couple of weeks um, about what they're doing uh, in the podcast world. They've got a very bold goal to double podcast listenership within the next, is it two or three years? Yeah. I think that was the, I think that was the quote. Something like that. How are they planning to do that? So on a very basic level, they are putting podcasts into search results. Um, so with an Android phone, you know, if you do have an Android phone, not a toy one, an Android one. If you have an Android phone and you do a search for a podcast, it should come up with a bunch of play buttons. 
and you press the play button and oh my goodness all of a sudden it appears that I've got a fully blown podcast app on my Android phone I haven't had to install it it's just there and it's a really good actually a really good podcast app that you can pin to your front page and it looks just like a real app and that's great news for those of us in podcasting because what it means is um, a it's not going anywhere near Apple which is a good start B it makes podcasts appear in the search results. So if I search for knitting, because I happen to be a real fan of knitting, and a knitting podcast appears to be quite high in those search results, not only will I see that knitting podcast appear, but I will also see play buttons that I can instantly start playing an episode. So all of this talk about subscribing and download a podcast app and all of that just disappears because all of a sudden I can play a podcast app. So I think, you know, from that point of view, that's really good news. Android phones are 80% of the world's market, so they are massive, and that's a massive opportunity uh, for us. And there are a few technical things that we need to get right in order to be listed, but, you know, accepting that, that's really good. I mean, I think it does say something, I think, when Google announced that by giving an interview to a podcast company based in Vancouver rather than on the Google official blog. To me, that says, I, I don't know what that says, but to me, that says that it's not probably as important to Google as it is to us. But to me, I think that that's a great, a great move forward. So all power to Google, I say. So what should we be doing about this? Like uh, there's, there's, some, there's some interesting developments happening with Apple and with Google. And I guess, you know, the, the whole point of tonight is to learn what's happening in the future of podcasting. But what should we be doing to prepare our shows, ourselves, um, our radio stations um, for some of the imminent changes that are, that are on the horizon? I mean, I think firstly, um, have a website for your podcast. That's the number one thing. Have a website for your podcast or at least a home page, and by a home page I mean a page on the internet for your podcast. Make sure that your RSS feed links to that home page and your home page links to your RSS feed. If you do that, then you appear in Google. So that's the number one thing. If you don't have a website for your podcast, then that's really difficult when you start to want to promote your podcast to people. Because what's the call to action? If you link people straight to Apple, to the Apple Podcast Store, then that means that 80% of people in the world can't listen because they don't use an Apple product. So please have a simple, straightforward web page which contains a big play button and details of how you can listen. I mean, I think that, that will be the most important thing. And, uh, you know, I think podcasting more and more is becoming an SEO conversation in the same way as all websites are you need to make sure that you have a strong brand so that people understand what you're about so that people can search for you so that people can ask for you on smart speakers although smart speakers and podcasting aren't necessarily the best of friends at the moment but actually you know as long as people are sitting there and know what to ask for know how to find you then you've done a, a tremendous job but I'd probably just sort of take a step back. Um, there was some research done uh, in the US with people who listen to the radio, which, by the way, is 93% of all people in the US, okay? So 9 out of 10 people, basically everybody, listens to the radio in the US. They did a, re uh, a, a, a survey of people who listen to the radio in the US, and they asked them, why don't you listen to podcasts of those people who didn't? And the figures came back, 21% of people said... They didn't know how 
64% of people said they didn't know why. And it's the didn't know why is the important thing here, right? We can jump into the didn't know how and say, well, what you need to do is you need to open the purple button on your iPhone, and then you need to press, and that's all fine, and that's all uh, excellent. But actually, the more important thing is explaining to people the amazing content that you can get there. You know, the fantastic, you know, uh, I heard this evening about a new a new podcast which is all about animals and you know how animals sleep and everything else <laughs> tremendous podcast tremendous content which is available out there that we should do a great job of marketing and so and marketing on the on the Apple podcast store isn't isn't going to help us there so let's concentrate on the 64% of people who don't know why rather than on the 21% of people who don't know how that's a good point, actually. Marketing outside of the podcast sphere. Um, who are the people that are, you know, not listening to podcasts right now, but would benefit from it? And uh, and, and so show growth. There's a huge opportunity there. Yeah. So I know you have some interesting thoughts around the terminology that we should be using when we're trying to promote podcasts to that 64%, the big opportunity of people that we can bring into our, in, into our world. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I would really like, if, if I was made king tomorrow, what I would really like is to ban the word subscribe when talking about podcasting. Please stop saying it. The correct call to action for a podcast is listen. Please listen to my podcast. It's the most important thing. As soon as we say subscribe, if I talk to my mother-in-law, who's 63, and she doesn't quite understand how her car ignition works, let alone how anything in regards to podcasting works, she won't have the faintest idea when you talk about subscribing to a podcast. And then you say, oh, well, it's just like TiVo. No, she doesn't understand what TiVo is either. Oh, well, it's just like, you know, the Fox IQ thing. No, she doesn't have that either. All of this stuff is really complicated. And uh, there's a great video that Ira Glass made launching a small uh, podcast, you might have heard of it, called Serial. And uh, he put together this, this little video, and it was uh, Mary, and Mary was in her 80s, and Mary explained how to get a podcast. And what Mary said is, go to the website and press the play button. Simple as that. Now, yeah, sure, if you're a fan of podcasting, then there are these wonderful podcast apps uh, which you can download and then they will automatically get all of the podcasts for you and that's something called subscribe. But at the end of the day, if you want to listen to a great podcast, search for it, go to the website and press the play button. Or if you're on a Google Android phone, search for it and press the play button. Even easier. You know, so I wish we'd stop using the words subscribe I wish we'd stop complicating things with podcast apps and stuff and start focusing on what the content is. The last kind of topic I want to touch on is uh, some of the, um, I guess, like fragmentation of the podcast world in terms of content that's being put out. And, and also, I guess, associated with that, it's also the, um, the walled gardens that we're starting to see. Yeah. So let me kind of set the context. Um, Apple is the, the, the number one app and directory in the world, followed by Spotify, um, which is about 6% of all downloads, um, followed by Overcast and, and so on and so forth. Um, but what we're starting to now see is audio brands putting out proprietary content. So Audible, which is known for audiobooks, has a whole series of content called Audible Originals, which are amazing shows, but they're only available on Audible. 
we saw last week, Amy Schumer, big comedian in the US, just got signed. Was it a $1 million deal to produce a podcast with Spotify? And I hazard a guess, it hasn't been um, announced publicly yet, but I hazard a guess that will only be available on Spotify. So what are some of the risks that we see with, you know, audio brands building these walled gardens in a communications medium, podcasting, which has traditionally been, for the last 10 years, very open. So in pod news yesterday, uh, I linked to a story which was Roman Mars, who was being interviewed. And uh, Roman Mars, who, A, doesn't look anything like he sounds. I was, I was shocked and amazed. He's got a ginger beard. Um, <laughs> but he... You weren't expecting that. But anyway, he was saying that he is really concerned about podcasting turning uh, into um, being hidden behind walled gardens because he says, and I think quite rightly so, you know, if I want to watch um, this particular show, The Grand Tour, if I want to watch The Grand Tour, then I'll go on to Netflix and I'll go, "Ah, The Grand Tour, oh, it's not there. Well, where do I go now? Uh, maybe I'll try Stan. So I'll go on to Stan, the Grand Tour. Oh, it's not there. So where is it? And then I'll try Amazon Prime Video. And I'll go, oh, oh, it's here. And then you try something else and you go, oh, it's not there and it's here and it's, and it's everything else. It's a complete and total mess. And what Roman Mars is saying is basically, we don't want podcasting to be like that. But I think what he's doing there is he's equating paying for something with a walled garden that means that you can't get it from a certain company. And um, it strikes me that there are parallels going on here with, uh, for example, BBC TV shows that you can watch on Stan. You can watch, frankly, on ABC iView quite a lot of the time. You can watch on Netflix. You can watch in lots of different places. And sure, they may have different release windows, but at the end of the day, if you, if you want to watch those, if you want to consume that media, then you can do. And I think what podcasting hasn't quite worked out yet is how to get the return on really expensive productions like that. And Amy Schumer, you know, um, one million US dollars is a lot of money. And I'm not quite sure how Spotify are going to get their value for money from doing that, or indeed how they can work out whether they have got their value for money. What I'm surprised at is that people like Apple and indeed others haven't worked out, well, we've got all of these, you know, if, if, if I could get cereal, but a, an equivalent of cereal that was even more exciting and I might want to pay for it instead of hearing the ads, well, that might be an option. Um, and at the moment, there are very few people doing it. And those people who are doing it, so Wondery is, is one good example, who are doing something in Stitcher. And there's another example, uh, Slate. Uh, Slate is open to everybody, um, but you have to do weird and wonderful things with RSS feeds in order for it to actually play in your own podcast player. bit complicated and a bit difficult at the moment. Maybe we could make that bit easier, because I think it would make sense to have differing business models to be able to pay money if you want to um, for exclusive member content as well as being able to have ad funded or brand funded um, media as well sure we're going to take some audience questions do you have a question for james if you do pop your hand in the air and i'll bring the microphone over so about the Amy Schumer thing, yes, I think that be I think it's a good idea that they're actually able to go to these different kind of sources and actually get paid money to do these things, or else, at least in the comedy world, there's a huge problem where these all these comedians are on these podcasts 
get no money for it and they're delivering this great content and they're actually kind of struggling in a sense where they get no money for this amazing content. And so if you have Amy Schumer as a person who makes all this money, you wouldn't actually be able to get her in a podcast otherwise. So we may never actually have Amy Schumer do a podcast without being paying her a million dollars. Yeah, I mean, I, I would agree. I think there are certain forms of content where you do need to pay the big bucks. And I think that that's the difference between, you know, it's, it, it, so, so on one hand, you've got Roman Mars saying that all podcasts should be free. And on the other hand, you've got Marco Arment, who's the guy that writes the Overcast uh, app, saying, I'm not going to give podcast, uh, podcast makers one bit of data. Um, I'm going to deliberately make sure that they get absolutely no information from my, uh, from my app. So there's a, there's a big sort of, um, there's a big spectrum of thought there. And, uh, and I think, you know, what, what's wonderful about podcasting is it, as it's currently laid out, is that anyone can do one. It can be uh, somebody with the resources of the ABC, with the resources of the BBC and NRK, with the resources of NPR, or it can be me in my, in my office, you know, or it can be, you know, somebody in their dorm room or whatever it happens to be. And I think that's the wonderful thing about podcasting and the, and the thing that is unique in terms of podcasting to almost any other media. And I think, you know, that, that then obviously leads to differences in business models. And some of those might be ad-funded, some of those might be Patreon-funded and, and that sort of thing. It's very difficult to run a Patreon-funded podcast because of getting your podcast into, a, you know, into an app and so on and so forth. Or it might be you know, a subscription thing. But I think you know, that, that, to me, would be the ideal uh, five-year future for us to have a variety of different ways, all as open as we can make them, but a variety of different ways of paying for that great content. And if the Amy Schumer stuff is, you know, $2.99 or you get it free with a Spotify thing, then great. Um, and um, judging on the clips of, of Amy Schumer that I found on YouTube to stick into a podcast yesterday, I don't think I'll be bothering. But, you know, um, but, you know I think it's all there. We are making a podcast at the moment, um, and it's a brand podcast, so it's not exactly analogous with Amy Schumer and Spotify, but you mentioned ROI and getting the value for money back, and we're having a lot of discussions about what the ROI should be, and indeed whether we should actually even have any. Yeah. So should we measure it by subscription? Should we measure it by people who then become a lead for something else, or should we just focus on softer metrics like subscriptions, listens, shares, those kinds of things? What advice would you give? ROI or VOI? Um, I think it's really difficult because I think that in, individual clients will have individual requirements of what they want. So my dim and distant history is writing radio commercials. And one of the things that I learned from there is that there's a kind of unwritten rule that you need to hit people at least three times within their buying cycle for them to even register what your brand is. So a buying cycle for a car might be three months. So that's fine. So you can easily hit people uh, within that buying cycle of uh, three months of I'm thinking about getting a car to I'm, I'm actually spending the money. It's much harder, for example, on cigarettes. So back when we were able to advertise cigarettes, that's why you would see cigarette advertising everywhere, because the buying cycle for a typical smoker was one day or two days. So you had to hit people at least three times with that brand in order for them to even register that it was there. 
One of the things I would say is talk to this man over here, he's a man called Chris, um, who uh, works for B Media Production. He has posted a bunch of very useful case studies on his site that I link to at Pod News, um, which, is, which are really good actually showing the different types of branded media, branded podcasts which are out there and some of the, of the ROI, and in some of them it's been inquiries, and in some of them it's been, from what I can work out, a nice fuzzy feeling. And do you know what? A nice fuzzy feeling towards your brand is also a good thing too. My question is really, uh, as a futurologist, can you stick your neck on the line here and say, what is the thing in the future, whether it be technology or a perception change, whatever it is, that's gonna really speed things up? podcast wise or what is the thing that's going to slow us down i think the one the one big thing to move the needle is for us to realize that there are lots of people listening to podcasts uh, in the u.s 24 percent of americans listen to a podcast every month that's really nice however there are 76 percent of americans who don't and to me the biggest thing that we could do is to start talking to people who don't listen to podcasts um, the average uh, number of podcasts, if you read Edison Research's data, they claim that the average is seven, yet they'll show you a nice uh, pie chart that seems to really show that most people listen to about three podcasts a week. But even when you, well, when you have a look at that, you realise that, yes, we could target those people and get them to listen to more podcasts. But frankly, that's going to be a lot harder than talking to the general public and explaining to them the why of why podcasts are great and why it's worth their while playing with the technology a little bit and understanding how they work. I think that would be the biggest thing that we could possibly do and the big bucks will come out of that. I mean, a number that um, is a bit more negative but it's still worthwhile knowing is, uh, and this is a UK figure but the Australian figure is similar, 75% of the total amount of audio that British people put in their ears 75% is live radio, 4% is podcasting. Now, we've got a lot of space to grow there. And the equivalent, I think, in Australia is something like 66% is radio and 3% is podcasting. I think we, you know, we've got a lot of space to grow there. Um, and that's both a bit sad, but also tremendously exciting. Because if we can double, treble the amount of podcasting that is listened to, that is consumed in Australia, then we can do some incredibly amazing things. And it means, you know, and that doesn't necessarily mean Australian podcasts, that would be nice too, but any podcasts, frankly. You know, very cleverly now, if you listen to a podcast from WNYC, Australians will earn money out of it because these, uh, um, there are some folk, uh, those folks, Corey is now selling advertising, not Corey himself, but uh, is, now, is now selling advertising within WNYC Studios ads here in, here in Australia. So the more consumption that we can get of podcasts throughout the world, the better uh, our industry will, will uh, be. So that's the, big, uh, that's the big thing, I think. Can we give James a, a round of applause? Thank you. Thank you.